This episode of the Ortho Bullets podcast will go over the topic of neurofibromatosis from the pediatric section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Neurofibromatosis is an autosomal dominant disorder caused by a mutation in the NF1 gene that codes for the neurofibromin protein that typically presents with skin lesions, lower and upper extremity deformities, and spinal involvement. Diagnosis is made with the NIH Consensus Development Conference Statement criteria with the presence of a combination of cafe au lait spots, neurofibromas, freckling in the axillary slash inguinal region, optic glioma, Lish nodules, and the presence of a first-degree relative with NF1. Treatment depends on presence and severity of forearm, lower extremity, or spinal deformity. Now, let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology and incidence of neurofibromatosis, 1 in 3,000 births have NF1. In terms of anatomic location for neurofibromatosis, extremity deformities include congenital anterolateral bowing and pseudoarthrosis of the tibia fibula and the forearm, as well as hemihypertrophy. Spine involvement can include scoliosis and kyphosis, as well as atlantoaxial instability. Moving on to the etiology, as far as genetics of neurofibromatosis, this is an autosomal dominant condition. It involves a mutation in the NF1 gene on chromosome 17Q11.2. This codes for the neurofibromin protein, which negatively regulates the RAS signaling pathway. Note that neurofibromin deficiency leads to increased RAS activity and affects RAS-dependent MAPK activity, which is essential for osteoclast function and survival. Note that neurofibromatosis is the most common genetic disorder caused by a new mutation of a single gene. Associated conditions with neurofibromatosis include scoliosis, anterolateral bowing of the tibia, bowing of the forearm bones with obliteration of the medullary cavity, which can manifest as ulnar pseudoarthrosis or radius pseudoarthrosis, and another potential associated condition is neoplasias. Moving on to the diagnosis of neurofibromatosis, according to the NIH Consensus Development Conference Statement from 1987, the diagnostic criteria for NF1 are met in an individual if two or more of the following are found. Six or more cafe au lait macules over 5 mm in the greatest diameter in prepubertal individuals and over 15 mm in postpubertal individuals. Two or more neurofibromas of any type or one plexiform neurofibroma. Freckling in the axillary or inguinal region optic glioma, two or more Lisch nodules, otherwise known as iris hamartomas, a distinctive osseous lesion such as sphenoid dysplasia or thinning of long bone cortex with or without pseudoarthrosis. Finally, a first-degree relative that is defined as a parent, sibling, or offspring with NF1 by the criteria that we just mentioned. Moving on to the classification of neurofibromatosis, know that NF1, otherwise known as von Recklinghausen disease, is the most common. NF2 is associated with bilateral vestibular schwannomas. Finally, segmental neurofibromatosis will have features of NF1 but involves a single body segment. Now, let's talk about the general presentation of neurofibromatosis. So these patients often present with anterolateral bowing of the tibia and often present with radial bowing as well. Physical exam may reveal varicose hyperplasia, hemihypertrophy, cafe au lait spots, axillary freckling, scoliosis, anterolateral bowing or pseudoarthrosis of the tibia, dermal plexiform type neurofibroma may be seen, and know that Lisch nodules are benign, pigmented hamartomas of the iris. Moving on to neoplasias seen in neurofibromatosis, know that neurofibromas, the plexiform type, are pathognomonic for NF1 and are present in 4% of NF1 patients. They may be dermal or in the deep tissues and are often associated with limb overgrowth, 
and they can undergo malignant transformation to neurofibrosarcoma. Finally, another potential neoplasia associated with neurofibromatosis includes Wilms tumor. Moving on to scoliosis in the setting of neurofibromatosis, know that the spine is the most common site of skeletal involvement in NF1 patients, and know that scoliosis is not associated with NF2. Scoliosis can take two forms in the setting of neurofibromatosis, an idiopathic-like form, otherwise known as a non-dystrophic form, and a dystrophic form. In the idiopathic-like or non-dystrophic form, this will have a longer curve and treatment resembles that for idiopathic scoliosis. In the dystrophic form, the curve is typically thoracic kyphoscoliosis with a short segmented and sharp curve with distorted ribs and vertebrae. This is usually recognized earlier than the non-dystrophic form and is generally characterized by a sharp angular curve involving four to six vertebrae. Moving on to the imaging of neurofibromatosis, radiographs may show vertebral scalloping, penciling of the ribs, and know that penciling of three or more ribs is a poor prognostic finding and associated with rapid curve progression. Radiographs may also show enlarged foramina. An MRI is always obtained preoperatively to identify dural ectasia and dumbbell lesions, which is a neurofibroma on the nerve root. An MRI can also rule out paraspinal masses, which are useful to distinguish from idiopathic scoliosis. Treatment of scoliosis in the setting of neurofibromatosis can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes observation versus bracing. Know that bracing is not effective for the dystrophic form of neurofibromatosis scoliosis. Know that non-dystrophic scoliosis in neurofibromatosis is treated like adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. Operative options include decompression, anterior spinal fusion, and posterior spinal fusion with instrumentation. This is indicated in the setting of dystrophic scoliosis. In terms of complications, know that there's a high rate of pseudoarthrosis with posterior spinal fusion alone, specifically a 40% complication rate. Know that pseudoarthrosis rate is still high with anterior spinal fusion and posterior spinal fusion, that is in 10% of patients, and know that some recommend augmenting the posterior spinal fusion with repeat iliac crest bone grafting six months after the primary surgery. Moving on to anterolateral tibial bowing in the setting of neurofibromatosis. As far as the epidemiology, know that anterolateral bowing is often associated with neurofibromatosis type 1 or NF1. Know that 50% of patients with anterolateral bowing have NF1, and 10% of NF1 patients have anterolateral bowing. In terms of the pathophysiology, know that anterolateral bowing may progress to pseudoarthrosis. The differentials for tibial bowing include anteromedial and posteromedial bowing. Anteromedial bowing is associated with fibular hemimalia and congenital loss of the lateral rays of the foot. Posteromedial is usually congenital due to abnormal intrauterine positioning, a dorsiflexed foot pressed against the anterior tibia. Know that this will develop into a leg length discrepancy and is associated with calcaneovalgus deformity. Moving on to imaging, recommended radiographs include an AP and lateral of the tibia slash fibula. Treatment for anterolateral tibial bowing in the setting of neurofibromatosis can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes bracing in a total contact orthosis. This is indicated when there is bowing without pseudoarthrosis or fracture, with the goal being to prevent further bowing and fractures. Know that spontaneous remodeling is not expected, and osteotomy for bowing alone is contraindicated. Operative options include bone grafting with surgical fixation, which is indicated in the setting of bowing with pseudoarthrosis or fracture. Amputation with prosthesis fitting is indicated after three failed surgical attempts. A SIMS amputation is often superior to a below-knee amputation due to atrophic and scarred calf muscles in these patients. Now, let's talk about some of these surgical techniques in a bit more detail. So as far as surgical techniques, 
In the setting of intramedullary nailing with bone grafting, you will first resect the pseudoarthrosis, insert a Charnley-Williams rod. This will be antegrade through the resection site and then retrograde through the heel. If the patient is less than four years old, you will extend the fixation to the calcaneus. If the patient is five to 10 years old, you will extend the fixation to the talus. Two years post-op, typically a second surgery will be done to push the rod proximally to free the ankle joint. Finally, in terms of a free fibular graft, you will often need to take the fibula from the contralateral side because the ipsilateral fibula is not normal. You can then use an Elizarov's external fixation in these patients. Now, let's end this review session talking about the prognosis of neurofibromatosis. Note that studies show between 8 to 10 years of decreased life expectancy compared to the general population with neurofibromatosis. And there's also a high incidence of malignancy and hypertension. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic can be tested. First question. A patient presents with scoliosis associated with neurofibromatosis. In addition to intracranial neurofibromas, which of the following is commonly associated with this condition and should be assessed by MRI of the spinal axis preoperatively? And the choices are 1, syrinx, 2, hemivertebra, 3, duralectasia, 4, diastomatomelia, and 5, spina bifida occulta. The correct answer to this question is 3, duralectasia. So all patients with neurofibromatosis and scoliosis must be evaluated with an MRI of the spinal axis to rule out both an intracranial neurofibroma and duralectasia prior to surgical intervention. To quickly review, scoliosis and kyphosis are commonly seen in patients with neurofibromatosis. Non-dystrophic forms of scoliosis can be treated similarly to adolescent idiopathic scoliosis not otherwise associated with neurofibromatosis. However, dystrophic scoliosis is resistant to bracing and often requires early surgical intervention. There is a known association of neurofibromatosis with dural ectasia or a widening of the dural sac. A preoperative MRI of the spinal axis must be done preoperatively to rule out this abnormality and avoid potential complications. Preoperative MRI can also help to evaluate for neurofibromas of the cord or nerve roots. McCarthy et al. presents a review article that describes the common presentation, workup, and treatments for early-onset scoliosis. They note the need for MRI in certain circumstances, including for patients with neurofibromatosis. Crawford et al. provide a review of the orthopedic manifestations of neurofibromatosis. They comment that dural ectasia is a circumferential dilation of the dural sac without enlargement of the neural elements. It is caused by neurofibromata about the spinal axis and abnormal pressure phenomena. They recommend contrast-enhanced MRI prior to surgical intervention. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, syrinx typically presents with neurologic abnormalities similar to central cord syndrome. Presence of neurofibromatosis alone is not sufficient to require MRI to rule this out. Answer 2, a hemivertebra can be a cause of scoliosis, but there is no known association with neurofibromatosis. Answer 4, diastomatomyelia is a division of the spinal cord due to a fibrous, cartilaginous, or osseous bar believed to be a congenital anomaly. While it can be an underlying cause of early-onset scoliosis, it is not known to be associated with neurofibromatosis. Finally, answer 5, spina bifida occulta is not known to be associated with neurofibromatosis or scoliosis. Moving on to the next question. All of the following are associated with neurofibromatosis except, and the choices are 1, smooth-bordered cafe au lait spots, 2, posterior medial bowing of the tibia, 3, short, sharp, dystrophic scoliosis, 
four, cutaneous neuromas, and five, autosomal dominant transmission from a mutated neurofibromin gene. The correct answer to this question is two, posterior medial bowing of the tibia. So anterolateral bowing, which may be associated with a pseudoarthrosis of the tibia, is characteristic of patients with neurofibromatosis, while posterior medial tibial bowing is associated with packaging problems during gestation. Cafe LA spots show a smooth coast of California borders as compared to the rough coast of Maine spots associated with McCune-Albright syndrome. Short, sharp dystrophic scoliosis, cutaneous neuromas, and autosomal dominant transmission are all associated with neurofibromatosis as well. And moving on to the final question, the diagnostic criteria for neurofibromatosis type 1 includes all of the following except, and the choices are 1, 2 or more neurofibromas, 2, 6 or more cafe au lait macules, 3, 2 or more Lisch nodules, 4, freckling on the plantar surfaces of the feet, and 5, optic glioma. The correct answer to this question is for freckling on the plantar surface of the feet. So first described by Frederick von Recklinghausen and subsequently mapped to chromosome 17, NF1 is one of the most common tumor predisposition syndromes involving the nervous system. The diagnosis of NF1 is made according to established diagnostic criteria such that an individual with any two of the following criteria is diagnosed with NF1. 1. Six or more cafe au lait macules measuring at least 0.5 centimeters in diameter before puberty, or at least 1.5 centimeters in diameter after puberty. 2. Two or more neurofibromas of any type, or one plexiform neurofibroma. 3. Freckling in the axillary or inguinal regions, otherwise known as the skin folds. 4. Optic pathway glioma. 5. Two or more Lisch nodules, otherwise known as iris hamartomas. 6. Dysplasia of the sphenoid bone or dysplasia or thinning of the cortex of the long bones, for example the tibia. And finally, 7. First-degree relative with neurofibromatosis. The article by Ward et al. reviews the clinical and molecular features of neurofibromatosis type 1 and discusses a mouse model that is being used to develop experimental treatment. The article by Feldman et al. reviews the orthopedic management of NF1 and emphasizes the importance of a multidisciplinary approach to treatment as NF1 affects multiple organ systems. That's all for this review about neurofibromatosis. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.